Good morning. If you could find a seat, that would be really wonderful. Well, we're glad to see you this morning. And what we'd like uh, this morning is to do something just a little different than we normally do. We'd like for you to stand up with us in the reading of God's Word. Proverbs 4, 1 through 9. Listen, sons, to a father's discipline, and pay attention so that you may gain understanding, for I'm giving you good instruction. Don't abandon my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me and said, your heart must hold on to my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom. She will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of favor on your head. She will give you a crown of beauty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege of being in your house. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, of being in a country where we can worship you freely, learn about you freely, and pass on the knowledge of you both to others and to our children and our grandchildren. We thank you for that, and we pray that we would pay close attention to it, that our hearts would be stirred in the knowledge of you and our service to you. We pray that we would just take this morning to both speak and hear and listen and to worship you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today's teaching is entitled Wisdom for Parents. And we know that many here today are parents with various ages of children. We also know that some of you want to be parents but have not been able to up to this point. So God has blessed John and I with three children um, Jacob is in college, and he's 21. And then Katie, our oldest daughter, is married to Phil, and she lives in Des Moines. And then our son, Miles, is married to his high school sweetheart, Caitlin. And they have three beautiful children. And if it were my way, their pictures would be right up here. But I was outvoted. So... While some of you are not parents to, um, at this time, statistics tell us that most likely you will be parents, so this message applies to you. Well, I wanted to say, and, and uh, before we began preparing for this message, I would say that uh, Libby and I had a very good marriage. And I would say that <laughs> since preparing, we've seen and found some cracks in our marriage. But what I also want to say is that Libby and I are, are very humbled to be up here uh, speaking on parenting. There are some really great parents uh, in this church that we've had admired for years and years. And we have learned much from them by watching and observing them. And in fact, we've modeled some of our parenting after them. So what we really want to say is we're humbled to be up here, but there's some of you who could probably do a much better job of this, of being up here. But what we'd like to look at first is just the nature of what is a proverb or what is the book of Proverbs. In talking about wisdom for parenting, we want to lay a foundation and ask that question. In the first seven chapters 
of Proverbs, Solomon addresses his son 16 times. 16 times in, in seven chapters he addresses them, and he exhorts them each time to seek wisdom. It is Solomon's impassioned plea to his sons on gaining and keeping wisdom in its ways. The foundation of wisdom is a reverence for God and an intimacy with him. The purpose of wisdom for Solomon was his ability to protect those who walked in its way. Solomon made very clear what wisdom was protecting you from. These three foolish paths were covered by Solomon multiple times just in the first seven chapters. The first one was corruptness in your relationships, especially sexually. Corruptness in your ways and corruptness in your speech. Ultimately, Proverbs is a book from a parent to their child, transferring wisdom. Wisdom that begins with the center of reverence for the knowledge of God and radiates from there into all aspects of their life. But first and foremost, Solomon desires us to help our children establish a relationship with the Lord. So what is a parent? A parent is not the owner of their child, but rather the steward. And in this last year, the book, Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family by David Paul Tripp has been recommended to me. And it's built on the premise of this stated, um, stated thing above. So if we take this statement, a parent is not the owner of their child, but rather the steward, this will give us a paradoxical switch of thinking that can make a radical change in our family. By definition, a steward's role is to stand in place of the owner and to represent him, always staying true to the owner's wishes, values, and character. The steward is to manage faithfully and wisely the resources of the parent or the owner. We are not the ones who determine the time or place of our child's birth in history, but from the beginning, God determines and creates each individual, their time on earth, and their family. He has entrusted to us as parents the stewardship and care of his children. Author Bill Peel says, Although God gives us all things richly, nothing is ours. God owns everything, and we're responsible for how we treat it and what we do with it. While we complain about our rights here on earth, the Bible constantly asks us, what about your responsibilities? So owners have rights, but stewards have responsibilities. Most definitions of stewardship include in one way or another the concept to manage the resources that belong to another. But what most definitions miss is a critical aspect of the steward's role. That stewards manage those resources in order to achieve the goals and objectives of the owner. Stewards are the representatives of the owner and have been given a trust by the owner in order to manage that trust in place of the owner. And our children are the trust that God has given us, but we're not their owners. Statistics show approximately 8 out of 10 people will become parents in their lives. 
And so while newspapers may tell us of the horrible things that parents are doing, we know the truth of the matter is that Christian or non-Christian, most parents really love their children and want the best for them. So the question is, what difference does God or Scripture make to the Christian parents? For the Christian parent, our love for our children must be defined by Scripture and not the world's view of status or the absolute reckless and destructive chase for economic security and safety that leaves parents and their children devoid of any awareness that there is a God to whom all must eventually give account. Parenting, unlike any other stewardship we have, is the most intimate of stewardships. The privilege to raise children is a lifelong commitment between the Father God and the parent to represent him well. Today, we want to share some principles that we've learned along the way. We have not, as John said, been perfect parents, but we have worked to be the faithful stewards for God as we've engaged in this ongoing process of parenting. The world says to us that at whatever cost or expense to yourself and to your children, get all that the world offers for success and happiness. But the gospel says instead, parents have one main role, and that role is to introduce their children to Christ. We are not saying the scripture says that education is not important, or work is not important, or even doing well or enjoying life isn't important, but all within the context of God's good plan for man. But scripture clearly states that our primary role as parents is that of introducing our children to Christ. In the world's view of parenting, status, position, and power are the most important things. Life is all about money, security, and happiness. I'm sure that you've probably heard by now about the college admission scandal that became news this spring, involving parents trying to buy their child's way into a desired college. Fifty individuals have been charged so far, so far and many more, I'm sure, to come. $25 million has been spent by parents to gain admissions for their children to select colleges that they normally wouldn't have been qualified for. The primary responsibility for a parent is to introduce your children to Christ. And I am an imperfect parent, introducing them to a perfect parent. Our children, for the most part, will model what they see in us. If being a Christian is just an occasional hobby for us, it will be difficult to promote the value of knowing Christ to our children. We as parents need to have the same thing happening in us that we want to see happening in our kids. My daughter Katie uh, sent me a Father's Day card, and I need to read it because I, I I think this will help kind of clear up some things. She says, Dad, thanks for leading me by example and always loving me. I read in a magazine the other day about the importance of having a family motto. And right away I thought of, quote, there are many ways to get places, but only one way to get to God through Jesus, unquote. I'm sure you don't feel like you lived out life as a parent perfectly, but that motto has impacted our family greatly. Thanks for being my dad and pointing me to the Father above. Our aim in parenting is not merely to launch our children into a relationship with God the Father through Christ our Lord, but to launch them from that foundation into service to the King. 
Our goal should not be merely to have raised a child to think, to know how to work, to have a good job, to be successful, to have a good marriage and family selves, and even to be in a good church, but ultimately to enjoy the fellowship of God and to be at his service. So the primary parent role is to introduce our children to Jesus Christ. Acts 2, 37 through 39 states, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So in this scripture passage, Peter tells us that this promise is for us and our children. So if we look at what is this promise, it's the promise of salvation found in Jesus Christ. Parenting is not automatic or easy and to do nothing but let our children grow up under their own ways, influences, and choices is to commit our children to a false life that will eventually crumble. I call this the default position of parenting. We think we will make our kids happy that way, but it will, it will produce the opposite effect. Just as the default or do-nothing position of the Christian life is sin, the default position of parenting leads our children down the wrong path. Proverbs 14:12 states, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So we need to ask ourselves some questions as parents or to be parents. What is our focus? How are we looking at life and what are we trying to get for our children? Are we pushing them into every activity that we can because we are afraid they will fall behind or not be fulfilled? Are we letting them get out of us excessive amounts of material things or experiences outside our family that dull them to caring about their family, others, and God because they think that life is all about them? Are we turning our children over to God and asking him what his will is for their lives, or are we pushing them according to the world's ways? God may, and more than likely will, give good gifts to our children that he has placed in this world, but that is not ours to determine, but ours to prepare them to know how to handle what God ordains. A good thing for us to remember is that the plans that he has for us and our children are so much more than we could ever ask or imagine, and it will be always better than anything that we could think of. David Paul Tripp, who I spoke about in the book, says, parenting is not first what we want for our children or from our children, but about what God in grace has planned to do through us in our children. And some of you who know me well know this um, verse is my favorite. It's 3 John 1, 4, and it says, There is no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Teaching your children with uh, biblical instruction, uh, Proverbs 22, 6. Uh, Libby and I uh, debated seriously about the use of this verse this morning. 
but it is so central and critical that we've included it anyway. Teaching your children about God through the Bible is the first tool we have uh, to introduce them to Christ. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I would understand if parents with adult children might tune out here. You might say, I am well beyond the use of this verse. However, I believe that there are continuing opportunities with adult children to mentor and to provide godly counsel when they ask for your opinion. Additionally, I also believe that God will provide opportunities to share your faith with your adult kids based on what's happening in your own life and not directed at asking them what's happening in their lives. But also understand that in using Proverbs 22.6, you might have a reaction against it. Some of the adult kids might say, <clears throat> well, that didn't work. Uh, some of you might also say with teens or preteens, nothing works. Uh, what we cannot do in this teaching, obviously, is uh, do a seminar. Libby and I are, produce, are presenting to you some outlines, some big picture principles of parenting. You have to put feet on these principles, and that requires effort and learning. A little context will help us uh, with this first. Proverbs is considered part of the wisdom genre of literature from the Bible. Wisdom literature is typically poetic in nature, and it's an intuitive form of teaching Proverbs are normally given in a parable form and are short, concise statements of general truths or principles, most commonly form, found in the form of cause and effect or a comparison uh, between two different actions and ideas. A proverb is a statement of wisdom, and wisdom is the application of useful knowledge that leads to the doer's benefit. Proverbs are general principles and truths which have as their basis reverence for God and that he rules over all things. Proverbs are not absolutes, are not guarantees, are not theological doctrine. They must be interpreted in the context of all Scripture. For example, two things will help us place this proverb in context. The book of Job is also part of wisdom literature, and here's a definitely a man for whom some of the proverbs wouldn't have been considered accurate if taken as absolutes or promises. Take, for example, Proverbs 11.8. The righteous is delivered from trouble, but the wicked takes his place. I think we can surely agree that righteous Job experienced trouble. Or take a very general observation on the human experience. Overriding this verse would be the obvious example that God has granted to man to have the capacity to choose and make decisions. Free will, if you like. The obvious truth that God gave man the ability to make decisions should help us keep this verse in context. This verse is a principle, a likely outcome of a course of action, but it is not absolute or guaranteed. That said, it is a likely outcome, and it should be followed as God's instruction with our hands working diligently in our children's lives and our eyes looking to him with petition and plea that it would have its normal outcome. The action or causal portion of the verse can be broken down to these two primary phrases. The first is train up a child in the way she goes. So train up is used only two other times. The word train up is only used two other times in Scripture in the Old Testament. And it's used as the word dedicate. It is used in the two parallel stories of Solomon dedicating the newly completed temple to the Lord. The force of the word is one of intentionality, preparation, and seriousness. To train up a child requires us as parents to take the job seriously, to prepare for it, and to be regularly intentional in our training of our children. The way he should go is reflective of Proverbs' descriptions 
regularly of the way of the wise and the way of the foolish. It is significant to remember here a few other verses from Proverbs. I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, Proverbs 7, 7. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother, Proverbs 29, 15. Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way, Proverbs 23, 19. Kids do not have an autocorrection feature, and left to themselves, they will choose the foolish way. As parents, it is our responsibility to directly and purposefully train our children in God's ways. Because of the Father's great love for our children, He wants us to roll up our sleeves and get in there with our whole mind and heart. He calls us to direct our children with wisdom, knowledge, and discipline so that they avoid the foolish things of life and choose reverence and knowledge of God. So, what if we don't feel equipped, which none of us feel equipped? So, perfection in parenting or perfect children is not the goal in parenting. So, that should give us a sigh of relief. So, an introduction to God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit is what is needed. So, what will teaching our children with biblical instruction look like on a daily basis? Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 8, gives us a great picture of this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hands and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house. I'm known in our household for not taking the fastest or the usual driving routes. And that is true as well when going home from church on Sundays. I like to wander. When our two oldest kids were young enough but old enough to observe this, I got this question one Sunday. Dad, this is not the way home. I responded, there are many ways to get places but there's only one way to get to God, and that's through Jesus. When I read the Father's Day card earlier, that is what my daughter was referring to as a family model. Cheesy or not, the point is to introduce in discussion biblical truths to our children. When the two older kids were in college, and I was, it was just our youngest at home, and he was in the youth group at the time, I would intentionally talk with him on the way home from Sunday morning about the message that he had heard. Things like, what did you hear, and and what did it mean, and how would you apply it? We had some great discussions, and we had some real duds as well. I, I firmly believe that if we ask God what to do to help start, develop, and encourage our kids in their relationship with Christ, He will give us ideas and ways to do this. Another easy and free resource is called Eat the Book, and this is part of our LCF family Bible study emphasis. And so, and this is what you, it looks like, and some of you have, may have seen this. So this is a free resource that we provide, and it has a daily scripture reading for your children, for you to do together, or for your child to do, and then you to come back together as a family to talk about it. And it also has an application question and a prayer prompt. And this goes along with our Sunday morning curriculum. 
And then starting next quarter, we're also going to be adding in what we have in our curriculum, which is to help your child to see how does this portion of Scripture relate back to Christ, whether it's in the Old Testament or New Testament. It always points to Christ. Um, additionally, there's an app that you can sign up for, and it tells in the front of this booklet how to get that app, and that'll give you a video to go along with it. It gives you puzzles and instructions for how to get it are here. And we send this book home with the kids once a quarter, but we can always provide additional copies. And it's also on our website. And I had one mom call in franticness because they could not find their book. And she was so relieved to know she could get it off the website. And that blessed me so much. So when teaching our um, children with biblical instruction, we want to think about the following three things. So, we want to make knowledge of the Lord attractive. Solomon reminds us in Proverbs 15, 2, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. And we want to do everything we can to make the Bible interesting and full of life. So as an example, and we are not perfect, but one morning I was reading the Bible to our kids and we were doing a Bible story and Miles ran down to see his dad in his office for a minute. And um, then while he was down there, he said, I have to get back upstairs because I have to listen to mom because I want to find out what happens in the story. So that's what you're hoping for. And the Bible is full of great wonderful, exciting stories, and you can make it exciting for your children. The verse then goes on to say, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. And I love this quote from Tripp's book, we are more like our children than we are unlike them. And we just need to remember this, because what a great reminder to be humble. We need to have our authority balanced with grace, it's very hard for our kids to hear from us when we've closed the door of communication because of harsh words that we've blurted out. So we are not perfect, and there are words I wish I could take back, but we want to help save you from some of these pitfalls. So we want to make knowledge of the um, word attractive. We also want to take advantage of what is already offered to you. So. Parents, you are the primary stewards, but there are other resources. So Proverbs 24, 3 through 4 says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So I love to decorate my house so it reflects me. But Jesus wants to fill our homes with precious and pleasant riches that reflect him. We, as parents, are the stewards, but we can take advantage of these other resources. So eat the book. Another big one is coming to church. It's here every week. So between the ages of birth and 18 years old, you will have 936 Sundays with your child. And so statistics show us that the average church attendance in evangelical churches is one to two times per month. So between the ages of 5 through 11, 
our curriculum here on Sunday mornings in this book go through the Bible a little more than two times. So that's 312 lessons of studying through the Bible. So if we only come to church one time per month, that means that our children will be missing 240 of those lessons. So that's a lot. And we want to join together with you to do everything we can. Um, we also need to be involved in small groups. They're part of LCF and always have been. Um, another resource is True Seekers, which is a great discipleship program. And some of your kids have been in it. And you can talk to Catherine Cole about that. Or, of course, youth group when your teens um, become that age. And you can talk to Jim Stites about that. When our kids were younger, and well, I was younger too, um, Betty Davis was helping the youth leader, youth leader find mentors for the youth. And there was a young man who uh, indicated that he had been interested in working with me. I began a mentoring and discipleship relationship with him that stands uh, to this day. In this relationship, I got to know his family better and we saw his father come to Christ in a miraculous way. I've seen this young man uh, persevere, grow, and succeed in life. He is now married, something he waited very patiently on the Lord for. And he has one young girl and is expecting another child. I would highly suggest to parents that when your kids get into the youth group age, or even potentially a little earlier, that they connect their kids with other men or women who are following after Christ. Our discipleship group leaders on Sunday Night Youth are a great place to start. This type of community life will help the child see that the Christian life is real. It's real people loving each other and caring for each other in the good and bad life. Serving together um, can also be life-changing. So in 2005, um, Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana and Mississippi. Our church responded and teamed with the church in Mississippi, and we made many trips uh, to help rebuild homes over the next couple of years. And one of those trips, I took Libby and our youngest son, Jacob. Uh, he had the experience of seeing a group of believers helping an older couple rebuild their home and live and work together for a week. It was just really as you would expect it to play out. Two older gentlemen in our group took our son under their wings, and he assisted them, then a younger man, uh, in our group, had him help him install some flooring. Our son's job was to take a little wood block and his little hammer that we had for him and tap the flooring together. He became known as Tappy, <laughs> something he remembers fondly. Well, maybe not the name, but at least the experience to this day. Uh, let your kids come with you when you serve to see what you do. It will really stick with them. So... When teaching with biblical instruction, make knowledge of the Lord attractive, take advantage of what he offers, and then also remember the goal. Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. So the goal in parenting is not controlling our child's behavior, and we cannot do it either. But our goal is to capture their hearts, for God to capture their hearts, actually. So God is not looking to control us or our children, but he's looking for our hearts to be his as the basis for our obedience. 
Mercy is about moving toward your children with love, even in those moments when they don't deserve your love. And um, I wish I could have applied this in a particular instance that I'm remembering and recalling. So one of our children um, took something from me that was valuable to me, and it was something that I used on an almost daily basis. So I hunted high and low, searching for that item, and of course I asked John and all the kids, and nobody had seen it. So this search just went on and on, and then finally the culprit broke under the pressure and confessed. And then they added, I just wanted to have something special. And so I just remember this moment so much, and I had to choose whether to focus on the punishment, because this child had lied to me repeatedly over and over again, and it was kind of a problem for them anyway, or I could press into the heart expression and then deal with the punishment later. And at that moment, um, I chose to go ahead because of the perpetual problem and deal with the sin, and I know that I missed out on a place where I could have spoken into their heart, and it is a regret. So God calls us and says to us as parents, your number one job is to teach your children about me and then work with me to let me capture their hearts. The uh, second tool we have after instruction of the Lord is active prayer. We've titled it active prayer because we mean it as an interaction with God that leads to action on your part. So prayer as only prayer and never going anywhere won't accomplish anything. We are sensitive to the fact that some of us who have adult children while being brought up in the ways of God have chosen not currently to walk with Him. We know that that causes much heartache and feelings of hopelessness and guilt. We believe strongly that in this stage of life, the absolute greatest weapon that God has given us is prayer. We do not want you to give up hope. We know that we know of many parents at LCF who have seen God move in mighty ways and bringing their children back to Him. Parenting is about real-life situations that we find ourselves in, and it's often messy. Parenting for Christians is about how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit as He works to bring our children to Christ. We must change our perspective. It is not us working in our kids' life, but it is the Spirit of God, whether they are 5 or 45. What an incredible thing God has done for a child, a covering of prayer and love and help from godly parents. So, of course, a part of active prayer is praying regularly for our children. And so, we need, um, as Tripp says, to give up trying to do in the life of our children what only God can do. Let me say that again. So we need to give up trying to do in the life of our children what only God can do. And one of the greatest theologians who ever lived is Augustine. And John is a big fan. And his mother, who grew up in a wealthy family that didn't follow Christ, was herself brought to the faith by her maidservant. So Augustine's mother, Monica, brought Augustine up in the Christian faith. But when he was an adult, he walked away from the Lord and pursued a life of immorality and secular philosophy. So his mother prayed for him constantly, 
And it is said that her prayers were intense and filled with great tears and pleas to God. So at one time, she approached a priest to plead with him to go to Augustine. And here's the account of the event. She pleaded insistently and with free-flowing tears that the priest would consent to see her and discuss the matter. A little vexed, the priest answered, Go away now, but hold on to this. It is inconceivable that he should perish, a son of tears like yours. It wasn't long after this that Augustine came back to the faith and to Christ. And so praying for our children does work. Why did God put us here? He wants us to pray. And I would just encourage you to unabashedly, without shame, cry out to God for your children, whatever age they are. And John and I have just seen in many families in this church, and they can testify that God has moved in kids' lives because of reliance on the one who hears and answers prayers. In active prayer and praying regularly for our children, the next tool that we have is intentional involvement with our children. Libby and I are the parents of adult children. We have many friends in similar positions. What we have noticed among them is their intentional efforts to stay connected and supportive as much as their children will allow. I'm a self-employed individual, so at the appropriate age for my boys, I would begin to take them to work with me occasionally. The parts of that time I looked forward to the most were the going and the coming, not so much because I take the long way around. But it would give us time to talk, time to discuss things, and time for me to talk with them about the Lord. These are some of the fondest times that I had with my boys. Whether you have adult children or kids still at home, I encourage you to find ways to spend time with them. Sometimes I know it would just be time you get to spend with them. Sometimes you'll want to discuss spiritual things with them, but they won't. But I do encourage you to be ready at all times to give an answer to them for the faith that resides within you. So another thing about active prayer is that we can involve others in praying for our children. Proverbs 24, 6 says, For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. And that's what it feels like when you're praying for your child. It feels like a war. And so George Mueller was a Christian evangelist, educator. He's one of my heroes. He was a director of orphanages in the 1800s. And um, he was also known for his persistence in prayer. So he tells this story, and it's just so encouraging for us as believers, whether we're parents or not. So in November of 1844, he began to pray for the conversion of five individuals, praying daily for them without a single intermission. And so 18 months went by before the first of the five was converted. So he said, I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted, and then six more years passed before the third was converted. Thirty-six years later, there were still two others that had not been converted. He says, I hope in God, I pray on, they are not converted yet, but they will be. So in 1897, 
52 years after he began to pray daily without interruption for these two men, they were finally converted, but it was after he died. So for 18,980 days straight, or a little less than that because he died, he prayed. And he understood what Jesus meant to the very extreme. Obviously, you should always pray and never give up. Luke 18.1. And so there have been many times when we've gotten together with other families that we've met through our small groups over the years, and we know each other's children intimately, and we have prayed and interceded for each other's children. And I can say with great confidence, because of these prayers, we have seen God move in mighty ways in the lives of all of our kids. So we can go ahead and have the worship team come up. Um, Our last thing on um, prayer would be to seek wise counsel. So without guidance, a people will fail. But with many counselors, there is deliverance. And so at one point in our lives, we were faced with a very tough decision. Um, John was out of work. And he was offered a job in Manhattan, Kansas. And so we knew that he couldn't travel back and forth every day. Um, So he would have to live there during the week and just come home on the weekends. And this was really going to impact our children. And so it was at this point that we decided to get together a group of friends that had come from many of our small group relationships And we invited them to come over to our home and pray with us and to listen to God's counsel. And we also sought their wise input. And I can just remember us sitting there. And John did end up taking this job. And it went on for a year and a half. And even though this was a really difficult time for our family, the Lord used it to draw us even closer together as a couple and as a family. So we'll remind you here that the world says at whatever cost or expense to yourself and your children, get all that the world offers for success and happiness. The gospel says parents have one main role, to introduce their children to Christ. As parents, our primary responsibility as the stewards of our children is to introduce them to Christ using biblical instruction and active prayer. I cannot tell you how God's sovereignty works with prayer, but I know he has given us the privilege to pray and to ask. Brothers and sisters, we do not pray enough as we should. God has given us more resources now to go with his word than has ever been. There really is no excuse for us not to know more about God now than ever before. So let us press forward to grow in the knowledge of God's word that we should pass it on to our children. And let us not fail to pray as we should. Amen. Amen.